be like Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. Then love kids. Love the kids of Cornerstone Church. So oh, we're done with kids. We got rid of ours. They grew up. We fed them. They got married. They're gone. They got jobs. Or I'm single. I haven't had a kid. Or I'm married and we haven't had kids. Don't talk to me about kids. No, 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 no. Jesus was single. Jesus did not have children. Jesus loved kids. Jesus was adult. And he loved kids. And he said, let those little kids run over here to me. I want to touch them. I want to hold them. I want to pick them up. I want to bless them. I want to speak to them. And we want to be like Jesus Christ. We want to be like Jesus Christ toward kids. So what we're doing is we're seeking to construct a biblical theology of kids or a biblical worldview of kids. There's a very unbiblical, very non-biblical worldview of kids all around us. We're trying not to be infected by that. We're trying to take every thought about kids captive to obedience to Christ. We're trying to not be conformed to this world in its view of kids, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through God's Word. We're trying to think rightly about the place of kids in the world, the place of kids in our lives, the place of kids in the expansion of the kingdom of God, the place of kids in Cornerstone Church. And I'll just tell you right away, I'll remind you, I said this last week, if you missed last week, please go back and listen to that one, and then, then this one will make more sense. What spawned this whole thing was, I was just reading through a book. My favorite living theologian, how many times have I said that? You should all know his name by now. His name is John Frame. And I'm reading through his book, I was, The Doctrine of the Christian Life. It's a big book. I finished it, and he had a section in there on kids, and it rocked me. It did something in me, and I thought, I need to pass that something on to Cornerstone Church. So I'm not preaching what he covered, really not at all. I didn't take stuff from him and construct this, but I thought, I need to speak to our church on kids. At about that time, Brittany, who's on staff here part-time, who runs our kids' ministry, says to me, we need volunteers. And I thought, well, this is a match made in heaven. I want to preach on kids. She needs volunteers. I'll leverage the kids' sermons to raising volunteers. Truth be told, I'm going to try and sign you up today. If Jesus Christ had been in our church and we said, would you serve in kids' ministry, based on what you saw from the Scriptures a moment ago, do you think he would have said, no way. You're not getting me in there with those rugrats. Nah. I don't think so. I think he would have said, oh, I'd love to be with the children. Let me hold them. Let me bless them. Let me speak God's word into their souls. And we want to be like Christ. So I am overtly seeking to greatly increase our love for our kids, our appreciation for our kids, and our desire to minister to our kids, to raise up kids, a long line of sturdy believers who want to raise up kids who will be the future of this part of the kingdom of God. Here are some main headings from last week. I'll give you three of them. One, we said, most of the people who are coming to Christ are kids, and most of the kids who are coming to Christ are in church families who are taking them to church. We saw that there's this 4 to 14 window. 85% of all Americans who come to Jesus Christ savingly do so between the ages of 4 and 14. So it would behoove us to recognizing God can save whoever he wants, whatever age he wants, but he is saving more right there than anywhere else. Then we want to minister to those people. We want to try and lead a ton of them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We also noted last week that, next slide, the parents have the most influence, amen, 
We want to come alongside them. It's a big job. We want to support them. It's an important task. And church is second in influence, and not a distant second, but a very close second. And that's why we said, thirdly, or I said, you want your kids in church because you want your kids in heaven. Amen? You want your kids in heaven. Well, you're first in line to help get them there by the grace of God. And second in line, and not very far down the line, is your church. And so you really want to immerse your kids in the life and ministry of your local church. And you want them in that. You want them partaking of that. You want them receiving the benefits of that because you want them to be saved. Because you want them in heaven. You're committed to church for your commitment to Christ and to church, but also for your kids. So we looked at a passage last week, started constructing a biblical theology of kids, and our first passage was Genesis 1. I'll reread it, verse 28. And God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish, etc. So we noted these are as recorded in Genesis anyway. These are the first words God spoke to the first humans. These are the first commands given to the first people on the planet, and they were about the cultural mandate, which was basically, have a lot of babies take charge of the planet. That mandate still stands, by the way. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is a command you could write over the doorpost of your house so when your kids go out, they see it. That was supposed to be funny. This is what you're training them in. This is what you're preparing them for. Now, today we're going to a second passage in constructing our biblical theology. It's Genesis 4.1. It's fun. I love it. And it helps us construct a biblical view of kids. It helps us to take captive to obedience our thoughts about kids. Genesis 4 and verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Let's stop there. It doesn't mean he just met her. Oh, hi. Who are you? Eve. Oh, nice to meet you. No, no, no. The word knew is a Hebrew euphemism, a soft way of saying something that could be said in a much stronger way. It means that they had marital relations. So they came together as husband and wife. Adam knew Eve, his wife. And then look what goes into one little terse phrase, nine months of work. And she conceived and bore Cain. Some of you who are mothers who gestated for nine months, who vomited and had nausea for nine months, who couldn't sleep at night for nine months, who were hot and roasting all night for nine months, who had to roll over and roll over and roll over for nine months, who couldn't eat food, who couldn't stand the way your husband smells for nine months. I knew a couple like that. She couldn't stand the way he smelled. Some of you who went through all that are like, what? And they're just, all they're going to give us is she conceived in Borcane? Like, it wasn't that easy. All right, you're complaining about the Bible. Just want to let you know that. But furthermore, The point here is not to describe all that went on in those nine months. The point here is to get us past that and to what Eve said. That's what we really want to see. Notice what Eve said. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. What she said is, look, it's a little man. Now, by this time, since it took 
her, presumably, same then, nine months to gestate. In those nine months, they probably saw other animals who have much shorter gestation periods, not near as much development to do, and out they come, and they're off. So they got to see this happening in nature, and they probably figured out, all right, that's what the belly is about. Or maybe God told them that's what the belly, you know, Eve probably wasn't like, man, I need to run more. I need to knock off cold, cold stone ice cream. I need to obey my Fitbit. When it tells me move, I need to move. Uh, Eve wasn't like that. She probably knew, okay, this is what God told us about. This is what the animals, we've seen this in them. So I know that there's a, a human in there, but they'd never seen this before. No one had ever given birth before. She was the first. It was a very unique situation and a very unique birth. And when that baby came out, she's amazed. She's holding it in her hand, and she says, I have gotten a little man. Like she'd seen a big man. It's one of you, but it's little. It's a male. I've gotten a man. With the help of the Lord. That's a good translation, but literally, the Hebrew just says, with God. The Greek translation of the Old Testament says, uh, through God. Either way, it's the agency. So she says, I've gotten a man, and I've gotten it through God. We're going to come back to that through God phrase, but let me just say for a moment, it's possible, some of you like to hear these kind of things, I know that because you tell me later. So it's possible that Eve had in mind that she had gotten the man whom God had foretold, whom God had promised in Genesis 3.15. And Genesis 3.15, after the fall, God is speaking to the serpent. He's speaking a curse upon the serpent, and he says these words. Slide, man. Make those words appear for us, please. Genesis 3.15. There they are. And God says to the the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Er, Eve had heard this. She knows, oh, I'm going to have offspring. What will my offspring do? He shall bruise your serpents, your head. That's a mortal wound. And you shall bruise his heel. And theologians call this verse the proto-gospel, the proto-euangelion. This is the first time the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, is mentioned in Scripture. Jesus is the seed who will bruise the serpent's head. And it's quite possible that Eve thought, I've got that man. I've got the one who will make it right. You know how the serpent deceived me in the garden, and I feel so bad about that now, and we fell, and it was so tragic, and now we're under the curse? I've got the man who's going to fix it. I've got the man who's going to bring redemption. She might have thought that. She was wrong. That man would come later. He was the God-man, the Lord Jesus. But be that as it may, Eve said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. I've gotten a little man with God. I've gotten a man through God. Agency means, it's a means. So what do we learn? What does this teach us? Every child ever born to any couple, to any woman who might be a single mom, any child ever born on the planet is from God. They're from the Lord. It's through the agency of God's working that that life has occurred. It's not like God made us and there are natural laws and he's off somewhere and we can do this thing and we have babies and we did it. No, no, no. God is a hands-on sovereign Lord who, who is working all things according to the counsel of his will. 
And when a couple conceives and when a woman gestates and when a woman bears, it's from God. God is in that. God did that. So here's a very important part of a biblical theology, of a biblical worldview about children. That's from God. So when you see little ones around the church, you don't want to be like the disciples of Jesus. Get those kids away from me. No, you want to be like, oh, look, there's one. It's from God. There's, there's one. It's from God. It's through God. These are little gifts from God. Every child is from the Lord. They are not only from God, but they are made in the image of God. It's a very important part of our biblical worldview of kids. A worldview that is not held by the world around us today. Almost nobody views children as being from the Lord. Almost no couple has a baby in the hospital and says, this is from God. God did this. Charles Darwin whose huge shadow looms large over our land, perhaps probably did more than any human to remove special status from humans. Prior to Darwin, it was thought you could only get this, a human, with divine design. Darwin said, no, we don't need divine anymore. We can get this design without, without divine, he thought. And so we don't need a God anymore, so there's no God, there's no creator, so we're nothing special. So babies aren't from God. It was not just Darwin. It's in our day. Peter Singer, professor of bioethics at Princeton University, is probably the most powerful advocate, the most influential advocate of the idea that a human baby is nothing special. It's not from God, nor is it made in the image of God. He says, and I quote him, we need to get over human exceptionalism. The idea is that humans are exceptional like compared to a frog, compared to a cat. We need to get over the idea of human exceptionalism. We're nothing special. We need to get over speciesism, like we're a species. We're nothing special. Speciesism to him is like racism. We need to get over racism. Amen to that. We need to get over speciesism, he says. So we're nothing special. There's frogs, there's dogs, there's cats, there's us. We're nothing special. He says exactly, our species is nothing special, and the difference between humans and other animals needs to be relativized. There's a little difference between me and a frog, but it's relative. It's very little. It's not that this is from God and this is made in the image of God. He ends, the unique status of humans is a false premise. He is professor of bioethics at Princeton University, well-known and a writer. His view is being taught to our youth. You send your kid to Princeton, they come out owing $250,000, and they now believe what Professor Singer teaches. Darwin and Singer have taught us the children are not from God. Welcome to our world. But this is where we want to be very biblically informed Christians. This is where we want to have sound and robust biblical theology about children so we know what they are, we know who they are, we know where they come from, we know what their value and worth is, so we treat them rightly as a church, so we esteem them highly and minister to them diligently as a church. We want to be doctrinal Christians, not Darwinists. So here's a way we must take every thought captive. Every little child we see in Cornerstone Church is made in God's image. They're amazing. 
And every one of them is from God and through God, and that's how we have them here. And by the way, something you can't notice, can we go back to Eve's words, please? I believe that would be back one slide, Genesis 4. Um, Notice something about Eve's words. You can't see it in the English, but it's, it's emphatic. She's ecstatic. She's thrilled. It's like when God first made Eve and brought her to Adam, and Adam said, this now, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, going on like this. This is what Eve is doing with this baby. She says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Like, she's amazed at what has just happened, as you can imagine. I mean, it's happened billions of times since her, and we're amazed when it happens in our day. She was the first one. She was amazed. We should be amazed at every child we see. We should be amazed at every kid in Cornerstone. We're not like, I'm done with the kids. My grew up. Don't bother me with kids anymore. No, we're like, there's a child. Look at that. It's through God. It's from God. Wow, isn't it amazing? He's given us some. He's giving some of our families some. He's giving our church some. It's a wonderful thing for a church to have children. Amen? A lot of churches don't have children. A lot of churches, for various reasons, and I'm not faulting anybody, sometimes it just happens. Demographics change in the area and whatever, and they fail to reach more people, and who's left in the church gets fewer and older and fewer and older until you have a pretty old church and there's no kids. The church my parents go to, a little beyond Westminster, Union Mills, you know where that is? Um, Because it's close to home. Dad's 93. Mom's a little younger, not allowed to tell her age. They listen to these. i got to be careful. But Dad's 93. He's the Jason Wallace of his church. He's the worship leader in their church. He's a deacon in their church, which is equal to being an elder in our church. He's 93. And he talks to me all the time, our church is old. I don't know how we're going to reach some young people. Where are we going to get some young families? How are we going to get some kids in here? And it's really hard to do once you're in that position. Churches with kids are blessed. It's amazing to have little ones running around. And we should be kind of like Eve. We're ecstatic. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us children. And I would love to help the parents lead their kids to sturdy Christendom. I would love to minister to the families and the kids. So Genesis 1, be fruitful, have lots of kids. Genesis 4, when you have them, you've gotten them from the Lord, and they are amazing. Now skipping over lots and lots of boys and girls in the Bible, going down through Bible time, we're going to settle in at Psalm 127 because it is another keystone passage, another bedrock passage that intentionally sets out to teach us some of our theology about kids. Let's go to Psalm 127. It starts with the word, behold. Most verses in the Bible do not start with the word behold. Only relatively few verses in the Bible start with the word behold. So when a verse in the Bible starts with the word behold, what's that mean? It means behold. It means I'm about to tell you something that's really important, that's really big. Check this out. Make sure you get this. Watch this. Notice this. Observe this. Behold. Here's an important thing God wants us to know. 
Children are, ah, that's good. He's about to hand us some theology of children. He's about to instruct us in what they are and how we should view them. Behold, children are a heritage. We're going to come back to that word. A heritage from the Lord. Let's, let's read the whole verse and then come back. They're a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children's of one youth, children of one's youth. We'll go on to the next verse later. Let's stay there. Behold, children are a heritage. That might be the most important word in this text. What are kids? How do you answer that? Well, they're no different than frogs. They're just the offspring of a certain species that's on the earth. No, what are kids? They're a heritage from the Lord. There's the from the Lord again. They're from God. They're through God. They're a heritage from God. What does the word heritage mean? It's fun. Let me show you the Hebrew because it's cool to see Hebrew. It's cool to see this ancient language that is still used on the earth. So let's see the word Hebrew, the word heritage, and there's the Hebrew beside it, and it's pronounced nahilath. Children are that. Children are a heritage. What does a heritage mean? What is a heritage? Fortunately, that word, nahalath, is used many, many times in the Old Testament. The land that God freely gave to Israel, he named their heritage. When somebody received a vineyard from his fathers, it was called a heritage. When someone got a field to farm from his fathers, it was called a heritage. It's like our word inheritance. It's actually translated that way in a few places in the, in the English Old Testament. Children are a heritage. There are two things you need to know about a heritage. Number one is it's free. When you get an inheritance, you don't pay for it. They pass it down to you, and it's free. It's a grace gift. They're a grace gift of God. They're free. You say, it didn't feel very free, nine months gestating, 12 hours labor. All right, all right, all right. It's free. And not only are they free, but secondly, they are what you pass on into the future. When you receive an inheritance of land, your hope is that you'll be able to maintain it down to you pass it to one of your kids, and they'll pass it to their kids, and they'll pass it to their kids. Or if you're Amish, you'll build another house, and another house, and another house, and you all live right there together. Have you noticed how close they build some of their homes to each other? I'm like, don't they want a little space in there? Anyway, it's off. So what's a heritage? It's something freely given you, and it's what you pass on into the future. And the Bible says, let's go back to that verse, please. The Bible says, your children are that. They are a heritage freely given you by God, and they are what you get to pass on into the future. And the children of our church are our heritage given us by God, and they are this church's future. They and others whom the Lord will add to us. So what are we learning about kids? Every married couple that has a child, every single who has a child, has a little heritage from God. Introduce somebody to your kid. And this is my heritage. His name is Aaron. He's sitting right back there. This is my heritage. Her name is Alyssa. That's his wife sitting back there. They're a stewardship. They're a trust. We are all headed for the grave. They are to carry this thing on. Speaking of the grave, so Roughly, the church that then became this church, I started pastoring that church in 1995. So in one sense or another, I've been pastoring this church since 1995. 
Some of you sitting in this room were that big then. You were the ankle biters of the church. You were the kids running around in the church. You were the little brats making havoc, tearing through the aisle while I'm yelling, walk, walk, and you just keep on running. Some of you were those kids, and now you're grown, and you have kids, and they're getting pretty big, and they're getting driver's licenses, and they're in high school, and they're looking at college, and it's amazing. Some of us are getting older, but there are kids coming along. We want them to be followers of the Lord Jesus, not just followers. We want them to be beefy, sturdy, robust, strong in the Lord followers. It takes parents, but a church is a big help. But a church is no help if people don't, all right, I gotta do the big ask, if people don't volunteer and say, I'll help. I see the value, I see the cause, I see the future, I'll sign up, I'll help. They're a gift from the Lord. Let's go on in that verse. The fruit of the womb, it's fruit. Stay there, back, thank you. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And then this, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one youth. Now let's stop there. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So back in those days, if you're a warrior, you had arrows. Probably not too many warriors in our days have arrows. What do they have in our day? They have the automatic equivalent of an AR-15. Is that what it's called? Thank you, M16. See, I don't know that. All right. It's about like an AR though, right? It's automatic. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. M16. That my son back there has fired them, haven't you? Yes. Anyway, so nowadays you got a, I'm going to make it an AR. You got an AR, and you have a magazine. It's not a clip, by the way. That's a different thing. It's a magazine. And in the magazine, you have 15 rounds. That's the modern-day equivalent. Happy is the warrior who's got 15 rounds in his magazine. Why? Because that's going to do some good. So is the parent who has lots of kids. That's what the Bible's saying. Now, again, this is not how many kids you ought to have, though I hope we're going to beat the bear replacement rate of 2.1 which we are not currently beating. America is currently at 1.6. We're shrinking, not growing. We're not being fruitful. We're not multiplying. We're not filling the earth. We've adopted philosophies that say don't. Fewer humans on the planet, please. There's no room. There's no space. There's no air. There's no resources. There's no nothing. Don't believe a word of it, in my opinion. But anyway, they're from the Lord, and they're like arrows. It's good to have arrows when you're a warrior. It's bad to be out of arrows when you're a warrior. In what sense are kids arrows? Well, this doesn't always happen. Sometimes they turn out to be painful to their parents. But the assumption here is God has blessed your efforts, and your children have grown up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord And they become such helps. They become such a part of your life and your support system. They care for you in your old age. So they're a heritage. They're like arrows. And the verse goes on to say, next part of the verse, please. Blessed. Blessed, happy, fortunate is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. What's that verse saying? It's saying, 
it would really be good for you if you have a bunch of kids and raise them up in the nurture of the Lord. As a church, this is one of the things we are excited about. This is one of the things that's part of our mission. It's not, as I said last week, like, oh, yeah, up here's the real deal. And then we also have, you know, that downstairs. That's just babysitting so we can do church. No, 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 no. That's a very important part of our ministry. There are people down there right now seeking to teach your children the Word of God, seeking to lead our children to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and they're praying and laboring for the souls of our kids. They're a ton of work, but they grow up and become a web of life and of mutual support for you. Blessed is the church. Blessed is the church that has their quiver full of them. All right, so we did a couple passages so far in constructing our biblical theology of children. Let's go to one more passage for today, Proverbs 17.6. I like this one. It's about grandchildren. I'll just pause and mention to you with joy that at this season in life, after 46 years of marriage, Debbie and I are very blessed to enjoy 12 grandchildren. We're told there will be more. Pray the Lord will bless. Pray that'll be so. But there are 12. Eight of them live within minutes of our house. Four of them live, I'm sorry, three of them live Nine of them live within minutes of our house. I'm always math challenged in the pulpit. Three of them live an hour and 20 minutes away. We get to see them lots too. And this verse says, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. What's a crown? A king wears a crown. A queen wears a crown. A prince wears a crown. You look at somebody with a crown and you go, wow, a crown. Look at that. Yeah, when you have grandchildren, people look at you and go, wow. A crown. They should, anyway. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Now, we left out grandparents, and we just went to their fathers. Children should be able to glory. That's my dad. That's my mom. And grandparents ought to be able to glory. Look at our grandkids. Look, at, got 12 of them. Maybe there's more coming. And the verse says again, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Every child in this church is somebody's grandchild. Every child in this church is somebody's child. We have a, a lot of little crowns running around. They're precious. They're priceless. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. We have grandchildren. They're the crown of the aged. And the glory of children is their fathers. We have a lot of fathers. And we ought to be helping those fathers to raise up children who will glory in their dads. We want to be such Christians that they can glory in Jesus Christ in their fathers. We want to be such fathers to them, fathers in the faith. They're crowns to us. We're glory to them. There's a reciprocity of value, some of the most important things on earth. Parents, children, grandparents, church, kids. 
So let me make some closing points. I don't have slides for these. Just you still with me? Staying with me all right? All right. All right. I'm going to make the big ask now. You ready? You okay with that? Number one, here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you notice the children of the church? I know you love to get out there with some adult after church and have some coffee and eat a piece of a donut and enjoy some fellowship on an adult level. Notice the kids, not just annoying kids. What are they doing out here? No, no, no. Notice the children. Look upon them with love and thankfulness and delight. Thank you, Lord, that we're blessed with kids to run around and drive us nuts after church. Amen? Notice them. Look upon them with love and thankfulness. See them as part of your life in our church. Number two, first notice them. Secondly, understand. Notice and understand. Understand. We are a church that wants to see lots of people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Some of our most fertile ground for that is the kids of this church. They don't just happen to be here. They're not just running around annoying us while we're doing the Lord's work. No, they are the Lord's work. We want to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a better chance of leading more people to Christ in our kids than we do even in all the other ways that we're trying. So notice, notice the kids, understand they're a big target for our Great Commission efforts. Thirdly, here's the big ask, invest. Would you invest? Would you help? Would you be like Jesus? Oh, I'd like to be involved in the kids. I'd like to hold them. I'd like to pronounce blessings upon them. And would you even volunteer? Can we have that number go up now? The, the volunteer text, kids. So it, as I told you, it just so happens, I planned this series because of a chapter in John Frame's book that moved my heart. But then in the meantime, later, Brittany said to me, oh man, we really need some volunteers. We've gone to two services. And this is the first time we've hit fall with two services. And I, I didn't realize, she says, I need a lot more volunteers. There's some things we can't even open yet that we need to open. There are a lot of people who just say, I need a break, and they stepped, stepped out. We need people who will say, I will love the kids of this church, and you can count on me. I will serve. I will teach them God's word. I will seek to lead them to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm making the big ask. Would you text that number and volunteer to work on our kids' team? Bless you. Bless you. And then fourthly, will you help us build strong Christians? So back in the 60s, there was a bread called Wonder Bread. Anybody remember, remember what their motto was? Yeah, Wonder Bread builds strong bodies in 12 ways. <laughs> we want to build strong little believers in a thousand ways. We don't want them to grow up and be beastie in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to get old and be able to say, ha, I don't have to worry at all. Church is fine. Look at what these kids who grew up, look at what they're doing. Look at how they're leading this place. Look at how they're carrying on the faith. We want to be able to do that. They will be our crowns. Help us build beefy, sturdy, strong, robust, doctrinally sound Christians for the church's future. 
So it's not, it's not babysitting. It's not kid control. Well, maybe it is. <laughs> but those aren't the real things. The real things are ministering to the souls of the next generation who will take up the ranks of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please don't be like, no, man, we're done with kids. Don't talk to me about kids. I had enough with kids. No, be like the Lord Jesus. Oh, yeah, let them come to me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you will make us a church that loves all ages, including kids. Please, by your grace, would you bless us to lead our kids, the kids of this church, to saving faith in you, Lord Jesus. And would you bless our efforts to build them into strong Christians who are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Please bless those who lead our youth ministry and our kids' ministry. Bless all their volunteers. Bless all who are on their team. And raise up more, we pray. Make us a church that treats kids like you did, Lord Jesus, when you were on the earth. We pray for all in the name of Jesus. Amen.